0: This is the CIIS Public Programs podcast, featuring talks and conversations recorded live by the Public Programs Department of California Institute of Integral Studies, a nonprofit university in San Francisco. To find out more about CIIS and public programs like this one, visit our website, ciis.edu, and connect with us on social media at CIIS Pub Programs.
1: So, I was really looking forward to this. Uh, I opened this book and I'm probably on the third page, boom, 1991, an amazing story that you recalled about something that happened to you in your life, and I was wondering if you would be willing to tell it to all of us. I'd like to hear it orally, because it's something to read it, but something else actually to hear your voice.
2: Hmm. Well, first, um, thank you for being with me here in this space. uh, it's special to have this evening and to share together and um, to have a, a space uh, and and individuals to witness uh, my journey and and also what has come to pass to become this book and um, so i'm just really grateful for our time together and want to thank you and everyone who put this together so I want to say that first um, but uh, I like starting out with a story. Uh, the story is in 1991. Um, I was probably like 21, 22 years old from Wisconsin. And uh, I, I, I didn't have any mountains in Wisconsin, of course, and I really loved mountains. And so I uh, thought, you know, I just really wanna go be with the mountains and hike the mountains and be in wilderness. And um, and so I I don't really know how I did it, but I found a job in Colorado as leading backpacking trips. And of course I'd never led a backpacking trip before. <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing really, uh, but I, I loved the outdoors. I was a Girl Scout and those kinds of things. And so, um, so I got myself in my little 76 Chevrolet and drove out to Colorado. Um, and I started my job there uh, for the summer. And I was the director of this backpacking program. And I had an assistant who is a, a male. And so it was kind of neat as a, as a woman doing that and working together uh, for those three months. And uh, so we spent our three months living in the wilderness uh, in a sleeping bag with no tent uh, for, for those that time, leading children, like children teenagers. And um, it was at the end of the summer, we had been through all these different types of weather and mountains and streams and all sorts of adventures, right? And uh, we were in the very last week of the summer. And this particular trip was storms every day, just torrential storms, winds, like sleeping in a sleeping bag with a tarp wrapped around you like a burrito and hoping that the stream doesn't go through down your sleeping bag, you know, and putting on your, your wet shoes inside of the burrito and those kinds of things. So, um, you know, it was a couple day, like many days of this torrential rain and we had come to this incredible uh, mountain range and we were down in the trees at, at this evening. And we were making dinner. And I said to the kids, I said, you know, I think there's supposed to be this hut up up above the tree line by the Park Service. What do you think about doing an evening hike and going up there and sleep above the tree line where there's no trees and there's just stars and, and we can go experience that? And they're like, yeah, let's do that. Like, okay. So we packed up all our camp and we hiked up there and we found the, we didn't find the hut. We, we laid down on the, on the bare, uh, earth and, and the trees were down below us. So, you know, we were 13,000 plus feet and, uh, the stars were magnificent. And then we woke up in the morning and there's the hut right below us. I was like, I was like, that's right. Yeah. I knew that. (laughs) But of course I didn't. And, um, and so then, uh, we were cold, it was sunny. And, and so we, we actually went down to the hut and, and uh, my partner figured out how to break in to the, to the hut. It was actually like a gorgeous log cabin. So we went in. We didn't hurt it getting in, but we did get in. And that was very helpful because we got warm. We we ate a good meal. We played some checkers. You know, we just had this sort of wonderful morning together in the space. And then we cleaned it up nicer than how we found it. Wrote a little note to the parking service and say, this is what we did. This is how you can contact us. And thank you for like being a reservoir for us. And um, then we left and we started going up over this saddle where these two mountains were like this and then we walked over the saddle oh and that morning we woke up and hundreds and hundreds of elk were were hiking like hiking hundreds and hundreds they weren't hiking we were hiking. (laughs) they were running like past and so just literally we woke up to the rumbling earth and and all these animals just going relatively near us and then went over the saddle and so it was just kind of an epic morning all around and um and so then we, we we went up that same saddle that the elk went and when we went over the saddle then there was a ridge and it was about maybe like I said 35 13,500 feet close to 14 so it was pretty high and there was panoramic views on both sides and I like to be in the back of the the trail of people just as a leadership style that I don't necessarily want to be in front. I'd rather be in the back. And um, and so I was in the back. And uh, when we went over the saddle, and that's the last thing I can remember, I just uh, had an experience where I left my body, uh, basically, and um, went into everything that you can see and not see. And I have still have very vivid memories of, of that, um, of what it's like to be out of the body, not because of any drug, not because of, you know, I'm act- dying or something, but, uh, but what is that like? And uh, pretty much the whole range I, I never saw with my eyes. And so I'm not quite sure how I walked that, uh, but I do have vivid memories of what it's like to be like a, a a rock, a, a, a part of a tree branch, uh, the wind—you know, things far away from here—and and how normal that was. It felt very, very normal and understandable. And um, uh, there was a lot that came with that, right? Like it's like what you read about when people die and they see something, the divine that is everywhere. And so in that experience, I experienced how in every molecule of the universe is the divine and that there is zero degree of separation between here and the other side of the galaxy and that um, the interconnectedness, the intimacy of, 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 of everything was uh, palpable in my whole being. And, and, uh, and then I guess I'm telling you the whole story. And then... Uh, Thank you. I, I really. <laughs> my plan was not to tell the whole story, <laughs> but uh, um, and then when when we started coming down the mountain, that's when I started feeling my body, and um, and it was really overwhelming to me. I was just like tears streaming down my face, and I uh, I just didn't. I, it was just beyond words, right? And. And the only thing that was kind of helpful was the song Amazing Grace came to me. And so I started singing Amazing Grace to myself, a little bit, you know, audible, uh, to, to help myself uh, somehow. And um, a giant storm system was coming towards us. And we're going down. And I thought, I really don't want it to rain. <laughs> and I'm looking at it coming at us. I was like, I don't really want it to rain and um, walking down and I was still like kind of like feeling all of that awesome feeling everywhere yet in a localized place and so then it occurred to me, I was like, oh well, I could just move the cloud. It's like moving my elbow, you know, I could just move the cloud and then it won't rain and that seemed normal still and so uh, that's what I intended and then and that's what happened and it rained everywhere around us but not where we were and there were rainbows all around us and um that's when I was just like oh yeah I lost it and I was just like it, <laughs> <laughs> like uh it's over and uh you know I'm so here I am like uncontrollable emotion and and whatnot um you know but it was nice because I was by myself at the end there was no reason to talk to anyone and 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 that kind of thing and so you know it was obviously a re- it was a life-changing experience to say the least and uh didn't talk about it much for years and years and I still don't talk about it a lot cuz I think it can create separation especially when I share it sometimes I feel like it creates separation between me and other and I that's the last thing I want um in life is I like being in relatedness mm-hmm. And so that's why I'm a little. And then of course I put it in the book. And I'm like, oh dear, what did I do? <laughs>
0: <laughs> what am I
2: thinking? You know. And uh, but I did, and and so hopefully it will be okay. Um, because the truth is, is that it's you know arguably one of the most important experiences of my life, um, and certainly the trajectory from that experience to today is is deeply relevant. Um, because I had a transformative experience that I really was like, what the heck am I gonna do with this? You know, <laughs> like, what do I do with this giant, like, thing that just landed in my lap? And now, what do I do with you? You know, and so I think that unknowingly and unconsciously, my doctoral work and my research was m- my attempt to try to reconcile that experience. What do I do with this thing that's in me? that uh, by virtue of having experienced something, what, what do, how do I integrate that into my body, mind, spirit? Because it doesn't seem to have a spot to go. <laughs> and so that is probably the reason why I did the research that I did and that has, of course, turned into this book and will probably be the meaning of the rest of my life. So...
1: So you use the word transformative experience, which in your phases, there you lay out thirteen phases. Mm. Uh, that's number three. So what when you look back, what came before that?
2: Yeah, before that is like you know the 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 literal mountaintop experience is is the catalyst. And in transformation, a catalyst doesn't have to be this you know sort of beautiful thing. like a lot of beautiful things are are transformative, like like that experience. But of course, trauma is transformative. Also, you know, Joseph Campbell says there's three ways to transform. One is through surprise, which is you know a surprising, wonderful experience. Uh, you meet a long lost relative. You uh, you um, get a you have an overriding a new uh, job. You know, there's there's wonderful tidings that could happen that are positive that are surprised that are transformative and then there's um transformation through trauma through crisis and and then he said you know and then there's intentional transformation where you have a feeling inside that says you know what I know something really major has to happen in my life like I feel that I must change radically but I don't know how and that inner impulse is the beginning of an intentional transformation and so you know that catalytic transformative experience is just one part of this much longer trajectory of transformation at least according to my research and that that you know begins as a seed and and you know Joseph Campbell has taught us well about you know, how does transformation happen from like the call to the journey or the seed and then the departure and then the catalytic experience. You know, um, for me, the seed probably happened somewhere in Wisconsin when I was 20 years old and thinking, you know, where's the frontier in life? Where I want the frontier. I want the horizon. You know, I had this insatiable need to to experience things that would affect me and uh, i guess i got it (laughs) Um, (laughs) whoa um yeah so um but joseph campbell really helped to to uh, the world to know right about that journey outward towards something that will change you whether you know it or not and then the return and all of, anthrop- you know, not all, anthropology that studies, you know, uh, rites of passage and um, and initiation, that all that literature for the last hundred years has, you know, continued to help us to understand that Joseph Campbell hero journey of, you know, feeling an unconscious or conscious need to change, to go find a vision, to go find yourself and, uh and then that journey that, tra- that trans that transpires after the call or the seed, um, so that part is known well. And and going into the research, it's you know, that you know that wasn't my purpose. It's to understand that beginning part of transformation of the seed, which is comes from the unconscious, the desire or the need to transform. It comes from our co- unconscious. And, uh, and Freud and Jung and many, many scholars would tell you that that's where that, that, uh, that, that initiation of, of transformation starts. But then, you know, you begin on that journey knowingly or unknowingly. Most people start the journey and they don't even know they're going. And that's fine because <laughs> next thing you know, a catalyst happens and now you're in it you know and and then and then the catalyst happens and so many people you know might think or it could be easily interpreted oh the the life changing event that's what transformation is you know like transformation happens in an instant and there's even a lot of literature that says transformation can happen in an instant but over the last 15 years of my analysis of it is that that is probably not my understanding of it, anyway. Is that my understanding of of transformation is that it is is quite a quite a process that is mostly organic, and or, organic processes take time. You know, uh, making a baby is nine months, etc. You know, it it takes time to to grow a tree, and uh, and transforming a human being from one. Being to become an entirely new being, of course, that's going to take more than an instant, you know, Uh, because that—that is what transformation is. It can't just be uh, this pivotal experience, and that's what launched me into my research. Is—is that sort of? I'll I'll be quiet and. (laughs) Otherwise, I I am a teacher. I could just keep going. (laughs) Fine with me. (laughs) Yes.
1: Uh, Well, so we we have a phase one being the seed, phase two being departure, three was the transformative experience. What happens next then, around four being the return and five being displacement? And I'm I'm wondering for you personally how the next phase has happened. Mm.
2: Yeah, so so return, you know, the pivotal experience happened, right? For me, this particular one, right? Uh, You know, literally the time after, you coming down from the mountain, the days and weeks that followed that uh, is part of the return. And, uh, you know, uh, but there comes a point where it does finally, the journey does end. And, um, you know, when you go and study abroad, like that was the focus of my research, when you go have an experience, sometimes it has a clear beginning, middle, and end. Like you really do literally come home. Um, So for me, I literally came home. I, you know, was in Colorado for a little bit longer. And then uh, I eventually came home, literally. And when I arrived home, I feel change on the inside. Like, holy cow, something has happened to me. You know, I have had something deeply impressionable happen to me, just like, everyone else has had the deeply impressionable experiences that feel like you your life has changed and and what happens next you know and and when i came home i felt like i'm different on the inside but my life is the same <laughs> my life is exactly the same the same people the same problems the same issues the same challenges the same life family dynamics the same things that I'm afraid of you know things that same things I'm you know nothing really has changed except for inside I feel different and uh you know and there's a little bit of an angst right like well wait can't the world be different like I Feel like I just saw how maybe the life could be different, you know, and uh, can't the world just be different? I was like, no, the world is just the same as you left it. <laughs> it hasn't changed, and uh, just because you have the rest hasn't, you know, and so that uh, coming home time was not necessarily easy, and I'm kind of okay. And honestly, I kind of just kind of was like, "Oh well, I had this experience," and kind of just almost was too much. I kind of was like on to other things, you know. I'm in college; I got to go study for exams and stuff, you know. I wasn't. I actually, to some degree, probably didn't even think about that experience.
1: But did you feel that sense of displacement and maybe the denial and grief that comes next? Mm-hmm. That was with you.
2: Mm-hmm. Definitely, uh, I didn't. It all was unconscious, uh, especially in the 90s when this happened. Uh, All of the processes that happened to me through the 90s that were a trajectory, I believe, and I, you know, from that mountaintop experience, all of it was unconscious. Like, I had no idea what I was going through. I just went through it. I just went through my life and uh, had no idea what was happening to me or why and, and certainly didn't have any idea that maybe some of the things I was experiencing were directly related to the fact that I had this experience in 1991. You know, um, I didn't know that. Uh, but now in retrospect, um, you know, that's, that's what probably inspired me. That is what inspired me to say, you know, when I came here to CIS to do my research yeah, So they say, okay, think of one question. This one question, you're going to answer this question for many years. You know, and it might you want this question to be the question of a lifetime, you know? And I was like, oh, dear God, I've got to find a question that's that big.
0: <laughs> you know, what's,
2: what am I going to do? And uh, no pressure. And uh, I, I did a, a ritual, actually. I decided I wanted to do a fast, and meditate and spend a couple of days in my redwood circle and, um, and, and fast until the question came to me. And, um, I was like all excited and I'm like all into it. And I'm like, yeah, know, I'm I'm wait for my vision. And, and I, it was, it was really <laughs> funny because like, I'm like, all prepared to hunker down, you know, and like fast for days, you know, hardcore, and, and, like, within a couple hours, it came to me, and I'm like, oh, that can't possibly be it. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so I was like, oh, I'm going to fast a little bit longer. <laughs> like, Just to be sure. I'm like, yeah, it couldn't possibly be the one, you know. And so I did. I, I fasted a little bit longer because I didn't really believe that that was it, but that was it. And do you
1: call the question?
2: The question was, um, you know, at that time was – what happens after transformation? What, how do you integrate it into everyday life? You know, it's all good and well to have this like, you know, big experience that was, you know, at least to me, it was a big experience. Um, you know, it's all real neato, but then what, you know, uh, you know, is it possible? Because when I returned, it's like when everything was the same, when 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 there was really little that i felt control over when i still had all these same problems in essence i really was the same person i wasn't transformed and i wanted to know is it even possible to integrate and really actualize what happened and so that became my question and um and then a group of us put it like worked on it together and um and then later then we were able to understand these different phases through the research and then everything changed then when you look in, when I looked in retrospect, I was like, oh, okay, that's why that was happening. And that's why that was happening. And that's why that was happening. That makes sense.
1: You allowed yourself to go through these periods of denial and grief or disorientation or my favorite dismemberment.
2: Right.
1: To find words to capture those, those particular phases yeah after the peak experience mm-hmm. can you say a little more about that time because uh, those seem like things that a lot of people might want to resist mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. denial and grief, disorientation dismemberment yeah.
2: yes um i I would say that you know when i when I talk to people they say what what uh what phase of transformation am I in now is well, when was the last time you had a... When when was your most recent darkest time? Because <laughs> that sticks out like a sore thumb. Like, what is your most recent darkest time? And that that really helps to figure out where am I. And, you know, um, I would say that, you know, for me, the trajectory that I'm in right now, the the figure eight trajectory that I'm in right now, you know, there's different ways you can... It started in like around 2004, 2005, while I was in graduate school here, and um, so I began the process of transformation with a seed of, uh, in, with a seed of, I'm not even quite sure, and um, it led me to go abroad again, and also with my work here at CIIS, and I had some pretty pivotal experiences abroad and here in um, 2005, 2006, or so. And um, that was my catalytic experience of having some pretty powerful experiences in Peru, some powerful experiences related to the Inca mysticism here on United States soil, and also some pivotal experiences here in this building. Um, that, uh, dear goodness gracious. So, yeah. And, and then, you know, and then my catalyst was in 2009 and that catalyst was not very fun. You know, it was the end of my, my relationship uh, of 13 years and it was abrupt and deeply painful. And so my, my, the transformative event in 2008, nine, that catalyst um, I'm still on that trajectory and um, and so after the catalytic event the integration of transformation which is the which was our research was really what is the integration how do you integrate it what we found is that there's a second half to transformation that there's the, there is the hero's journey, which is the upper half of the figure eight, and the lower half is the integration of that upper half of the transformative experience. And that lower half um, is, half of it is not so fun. You know, it's, you know, first displacement. You feel like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm home. I made it through this experience. I think I'm happy it's over. Or I wish it wasn't over. So there's a lot of ambivalence of feeling like out of place in the world. And so I, I totally, after my life-changing experience, after the shock of it was over, then I totally had no idea, you know, where is my place in this world? I am lost. I'm like, don't know where I am. And that's displacement. And then um, this, the next one is disorientation. And disorientation is, um, I'm sorry, it's uh, grief and denial. And grief and denial uh, is, is this sort of experience of grieving that if your experience was positive, you're grieving that it's over. So during the grief phase for the 1991 experience I was just sad it was over right like I don't want it to be over just take me back to the mountain you know take me away from this mess I want to be on that mountain again and I I want that's all I wanted right but after after a traumatic experience that's catalytic which was my 19, 2009 experience was that um you know I was just grieving The trauma right this is grieving the end of like what everything was wrapped up in the trauma you know and then coupled with this sort of grief is denial you know like denial that it happened for the trauma you know like this did not happen this did not happen this is not my new normal you know and and then for for the positive experience the denial is is that it's over like, you just, I just did not want it to be over. Like, what can I do to make it happen again? Like, I will do anything <laughs> to do that again, <laughs> you know? And uh, and so the grief and denial has a sort of pivotal back and forth between the two, grief and denial. But after a while, the grief and denial can only take you so far. Like, it's, it, Will last only so far. Then there's uh, uh, disorientation, which is uh, principally uh, an experience where you are trying to find your new identity. So it's an identity crisis, and that's why you're in, you're disoriented because you you really don't you had a vision of who you are, who you are to become during the catalyst. But there's a fight between the new you and the outdated you. So you're going back and forth. And, and then dismemberment. And dismemberment is when you go into the darkest time and, and, and you, you lose what you no longer need. The self that is outdated and all the patterns with it all get to go away and dissolve. And that's, just, that's the darkest time. And uh, if you can make it into dismemberment, you're good to go. <laughs> <laughs> put that and on a bumper sticker. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's, if you can make it into dismemberment, it, like, like, you know, and, and find some sense of coherence and say, I did it, yo. I did it. I made it to dismemberment. Because after you make it through dismemberment, into dismemberment, it's like, okay, it's like you, you can have the wind at your back. Um, it doesn't feel like that when you're in dismemberment, but... Uh yeah so that gives you a little feel. Those are really important uh times during the, I mean dismemberment is the most important part of integration. If you do not have dismemberment, you can't transform
1: well, how do you uh talk to people who feel maybe really out of control during that period, and it seems like maybe the natural tendency is to be alone, to have solitude. but it seems yeah. like oftentimes we pick other things to to feel better, to be busy, whatever it is.
2: Uh, you know, being in dismemberment is, is the hardest time I would imagine of for anyone by virtue of, of the nature of it. Um, and what we found in the research is that the best thing, some of the best, what is needed for it to transpire is to spend time alone it's so important to be alone as much as you can and actually at home as much as possible and in stillness because that that allows there's something about that psycho uh, biopsychosocially spiritually that that to have the lack of movement physically it matters and i i come to understand that that is a necessary because we're really literally remaking ourselves on a cellular level and, and subatomic level. And, and, and the, just as a caterpillar uh, liquefies in the, in the in the chrysalis, I do believe that is essentially what we do as we liquefy during dismemberment and and literally rearrange to become to cause a structure to emerge that is different because transformation is a change in structure and 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 for it for the old structure to dissolve and a new structure to be rebuilt you really do need to have you know some stability some some thing around you while that all that happens inside and and being in your house is being in a house that being in a structure that calls home is actually really important but these things are kind of contra like they're not they're not things that that the prevailing culture is 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 used to right like it's okay to spend time alone it's okay to want to be still and not move it's okay to uh, um you know sit in darkness not listen to music or anything, you know. Uh,
1: Probably makes families and friends a little nervous, right? Right. When, when one is cocooning in that way yes. for an extended period. Uh
2: huh. Uh huh. Right. But if it, 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 there, if you want to speed the process up, then it, it, you know, or you know, nature can only go so quickly, right? But you know, we can add add vitamins and minerals and do different things to like there are ways that we can have nature go a little bit faster but not over you know there is a limit to that but one way to go faster is to pay attention to the the phase and the needs of the phase and during that dismemberment is to be still and if you pay attention to the body that's what it wants but it's so hard to overcome the conditioning of the movement all the time movement and being outside going places interacting with people the normalcy of that socially and culturally is is it's very hard to really listen to the body that says in the heart and the psyche that says you know what i actually don't want to be around anyone (laughs) and and to to really honor that and then you can get through it a little bit faster someone someone texted me a couple days ago they're like how can we make this go faster
0: yeah
1: so slowing down to, make, to move through the phase mm-hmm. more quickly and probably mm-hmm. really limiting screen time, I'm imagining.
2: Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and it really comes from inside. If you, if, if, that's what we found by analyzing ourselves as a group and as individuals, that if we really, really paid attention to the impulses in, inside, that is what we documented that became the figure eight and the 13 phases. Those 13 phases didn't come from our mind. It came from listening deeply, day after day after day, for 13 months, a whole group, along with our analysis of it. So, um, so I, by listening deeply, you already know the way. We just happen to have documented it for you. So, if you wanted to have a little guide, you know, just in case, like, <laughs> is this normal? You know, you can be reassured, yeah, there's other people that say this is normal. <laughs>
1: yeah. It really is a map. Yes. And on your website with a figure eight and all the different phases on the figure eight, I mean, I think it's really it illustrates some of the movement.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now we're moving into the next phase, which is uh, the ninth phase, which is surrender.
2: hmm yeah. Um, It's interesting, a lot of the phases have very clear demarcations and there's a lot of details and characters and properties to the different phases that are highly predictable. Um, After I've been interviewing a lot of people for many years, it's just unbelievable how it's just like, wow, this is incredible how, how transformation has an organic way about it that can be known. Um, when I so in when you in surrender and healing, there's a very specific event that happens that en- helps you enter into surrender. And it's different than the kind of surrender you're like, okay, I I give I I I'm allowing myself for this or something. You know, it's it's uh, an event that happens that where a lot of something very important is at stake. And it's, it's extremely important to you personally, and in order for you to move forward to make sure that this important thing happens, you have to do something that is, like, the thing you do not want to do. So for me, for example, mine happened in 2016, no, 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 it was 2014, and I had to confront a close friend and tell her um, that we couldn't necessarily be friends in the same way. Um, like we we were, let me be more specific, that we couldn't live together. And we were platonic friends, you know, um, professionals living together, but we had known each other for years. And I knew that I had to tell her that we can't live together anymore. And that took every ounce of my being to do that. Like I thought I was gonna like rather like just like take my skin off than do that, you know? But I knew that I had to do it for for my own health. Like I have to do this, you know? And for the health of the system, like I, I have to say this is over. and um And that was, really, really hard for me, and that was a surrender moment, and what I was surrendering was an old pattern of not speaking the truth. That's what I was surrendering, is an old pattern of, of allowing myself to be in a situation that wasn't the right situation for me, and to speak the truth with love, and that was really hard, but it allowed me to surrender, into a, a, surrender a pattern And then that entered into the phase of healing and healing is like where it doesn't mean you go see a bunch of therapists and that sort of thing, per se, a couple people could, but it's more where, where people serendipitously enter into your life and have their, their healing situation. Right? Like right now I have a boss that is the for, I've been in my job for 20 years and I've had 20 bosses. And literally, I've had like 20 administrators, and this, and I struggled with all of them. And I, and look at the common denominator. Okay, so, um, yeah, but you know, get a, get a grip. Susie. Um, look at yourself. Okay, so, um, so but the, 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 the boss that I have right now is the one I've been waiting for. You know, he's so, so good to me, and it's and so healthy in so many ways. he's what I've been waiting for. and and, and that is so healing. you know so it, healing doesn't need to be this sort of like, you know, traditional, sounding thing. It's, it's, it's that things come into your life that are soothing to your being because it is what you've been needing. Mm-hmm.
1: So what got birthed? for you in the next phase
2: yeah that was funny um so once now that i know all these phases like extremely intimately it's a really really powerful to go through the process with your eyes open because now that i know all this processes intimately i have my eyes out like i'm like okay i'm in the surrender healing phase i want to start looking for the birth like the birth of the new me, you know. Like I'm like, okay, I've been in this phase for a while.
0: <laughs> I'm like,
2: any day now, I'm I'm ready for birth, you know. Get me, I've this has been real good surrender and healing, but you know, I'm on to the brighter part. And uh, so, oh my God, I had the funniest uh, conversation with this guy who's like a very well known scholar who my the research method, cooperative inquiry, that I use for my doctoral dissertation I was I talked to him on the phone because I was writing an article about the method um, in a transpersonal psychology journal and so I was talking to the his name is John Heron many people in the room know who he is and and he named me and the moment that he said it I was like oh my god I'm having I'm birthing right now you know, and the birth phase I found has three phases, just similarly to giving birth to a baby, or literally a new you is 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 coming into the world for the first time. The the, 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 the you that's been, been gestating ever since the catalytic experience and going through all that darkness is, is the you gestating on the inside, uh, moving around the, the new structure of you getting built. And then during the birth moments, usually happens over a period of like a couple months. Uh, and, and they're just little moments. And two of them are very invisible. Nobody even sees them, except for you, if you're lucky. And, 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 uh, and they're not like super snazzy like this. You know, it's like, whoa, you know, all sorts of people staring at you. You know, it's, it's, it's usually a very private experience. Uh No one would ever know that this big thing is happening that your the new you is arriving, and it really is a new person on the planet because the you that you that left that departed before your catalytic experience that person is gone it, that person dissolved during dismemberment and 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 there is an literally a new person might look the same, maybe, maybe not exactly the same. Oftentimes, actually, you look different. Um, and but it is, and all the people around you can testify. That's what real transformation is: when your whole life and all everyone around you they see it too. They see you're a different person now, and you know it, and everyone around you knows it the people that knew you 15 years ago when you started, (laughs) you know. But that birth moment is, I think, a very sacred moment because uh, a new being comes onto the planet, and that's pretty special. It's like when a baby is born, it's so special, you know. And so to be in the moment of your own birth and being aware of it is, to me, it was really kinda cool like, wow, it's happening. I'm coming out. (laughs) You know? I'm coming out. (laughs) Yo. So that was uh 2016. And so I'm still on my way. I'm not finished yet. (laughs) For the record. Yeah.
1: But for John to uh see you and experience you that way and then name you.
2: Yeah, that was neat. Of course he didn't know what's going on. He he doesn't know, but you know, that, that that's what happens, right? There's so much going on in the universe that is happening, you know, merging through us, you know, unconsciously. And, uh, you know, people just say the words, they don't even know they're saying it, right? Because this. But if you have the ears to hear it, you know, not that I'm special or anything, it's just I happen to know, I happen to have been studying this so
1: that takes us to the final three phases which are abundance power and integration
2: Mm -hmm. so maybe i'll share about that (laughs) (laughs) if you wouldn't mind so so yeah uh so i i would say i'm probably at the end of abundance and creativity phase right now like there's a way that this process is long. Like my, my research shows over and over and over again. I don't know why yet, but there's something about 15 years for transformation. For all 13 phases. Yeah, uh-huh. I don't know what it is. It's just uncanny. But over and over again, it's it's about 15 years. If there's trauma involved, then it tends to be more. Um, because integrating trauma is because when trauma happens, we splinter, and when when uh a beautiful experiences as we, we expand. And so when you have a traumatic experience and you splinter, uh, you know, it's harder to pick up all the pieces, Humpty Dumpty, etc. It's like a lot of pieces. Whereas when you expand, you know, a positive experience is like, Ooh, woo Wow. And then, and then when it's over, there's a deep, it's coming back again. So I, when you have a traumatic experience, it's, um, it can take longer. But uh, abundance and creativity is just like where the fun begins, you know. And uh, you start receiving things out of the blue. Everything that you need for what you love starts coming to you without asking. And it's just uncanny and bizarre. And it's true because I see it over and over again. What you need to become yourself comes to you. In the form of material things, money, people, love, relationships, all of it, uh, jobs, whatever you need to become yourself fully, and whatever you need to do something that you really love, because uh, becoming yourself is is uh, cannot be separated from you creating what you love. And so during that uh, abundance creativity phase, there is a huge creative outflow coming out of you. Like whatever you wanna do in life, whatever you like, you really wanna go do that and, and everything allows you to do it. So if you wanna rebuild your house, everything works out like all of a sudden maybe you can work from home a little bit more or a general contractor moves in next door and you know these different things and and all come pieces come together and you're like wow I can really rebuild my house now and this is so cool and all this wonderful creative energy goes into that. Or maybe you create a club for your children. Or maybe you get a chance to write a grant for something you've always wanted to do. Or maybe you get to build a business or whatever it is that you makes you come alive. You get to do it. And everything conspires for you. And I know it sounds like new agey and all this stuff. But the truth is, you did the work. You did all the work of transformation through dismemberment and all that stuff, and you have rearranged yourself to cause you to have a new structure that causes gravity to that brings all of that to you. And um, so, you know, I'm just like in that now, and uh, I've just experienced incredible abundance. I got a chance to get the job that I've always wanted. I've had the time off that I needed to do it well. I have the boss that believes in me, and, and um, I have a couple colleagues who are ni- nice, good to me, and, and believe in me, and that I can enjoy, and that I love them, and I have uh, wonderful people around me, uh, a nice small group of people who believe in me and love me, and family that loves me, and, and so that I have what, it need, what I need to do exactly, I have this beautiful house right now, not, I don't have it, I'm in it, (laughs) but I have, I'm in this house right now that is like this unbelievable place to be a writer, you know, epic house, a screaming epic house, and a, a wonderful person, people that I'm close to to support me in that, and so that I've been able to write for the last year, seven days a week, 12 hours a day, you know, and uh, for the last year, and I've had the most incredible atmosphere to do that, uh, that I could never have dreamed of. And, uh, and now I'm entering beyond that. I'm so that, tripping into the next one.
1: So that all that receiving and all that being lighter and brighter and abundance leading to the power, I guess, that you're feeling now in your life, that it is your life.
2: Mm. I'm, I feel like I'm on the edge of that. In in the process of transformation, there's a tendency in the lived experience of saying, "Oh, surely I'm in that phase now. For sure, I'm in that phase." And I'm like, "Get a clue! No, you're not. You like, you know." I'm like, "So I want to be in the power phase, but I'm I'm not there yet. But this, but that is happening, and and the power phase will be when it's like everyone recognizes you for your authentic." Uh, gifts there's no there's there they're like all the people that know you they know your gifts they're like oh yeah that's you that's what you're good at and you know it and they know it other people know it and it's not a big deal it's not like oh you know it's just and or me oh I'm so great it's (laughs) that it's that is a groundedness of authentic power, and it's in its power that arises from knowing who you are. That's it. That's all it is. I know who I am, and that's it. It's not that I'm great. It's not that this and that. It's power that arises from that um, place. And I think very quickly about the um, my teacher, Marilyn Youngbird. Native American Arikara Hidatsa teacher. And I asked her once because she grew up and was taken from her family and, and taken to, you know, a place where she, she had to learn the ways of, of the white man. And I said, you know, she was taken away when she was a little girl and everything was taken away from her. And I said, how did you do it? You know how did you do it and she looked at me and she said i know who i am and i didn't have any idea what she was talking about when she told me that 25 years ago but now i understand what she's talking about that um that this this kind of power has nothing to do with anything outside of you or any it's So, I think you might get it now, but it's, 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 um, mm, that's all I'll say. Okay. Well, I'll
1: just say one more thing because one of the things that struck me was you said part of the power comes from loving yourself.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, yes, the journey involves loving, learning to love what you do not accept about yourself i mean that's the centerpiece of dismemberment is that you face what is what you do not like about yourself what you've rejected about yourself you have to face yourself fully you have to face your shadow it's right there you can't run away from it (laughs) in dismemberment it's right there (laughs) and so you have to face it and 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 when you face what you don't like about yourself your inadequacies uh your choices that you made that you feel badly whatever you know uh that's a critical piece because by the time you get to the power phase you just are okay with yourself and that's I think something we long for right is 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 um is being okay with yourself you know being okay with myself just the way I am you know and that is And, but it's more than that, it's knowing yourself. Because when you know yourself, love is part of that. But knowing yourself allows you to know your, like, more about what you love and therefore how you want to be. And therefore, and then action comes out from that. And um, so the action is coming out of this core. And so the action that comes out is your your creation of that is uniquely you manifest in the outside world for everyone else to see, you know, everyone else sees it. Everyone else sees what you have become by just looking at your life. That's it. You just, people look at your life and know your life, your home life, your personal life, your work life, who you are, and they see your life and they see that is you. And there is, by the time you get to that phase, there is not a distinguishing between personal life and professional life and whatever life. It is all open and visible to all, yourself and everyone. There is no, which gets to integration. When you're at integration, there is n- your life and you, what is visible and invisible, there is no distinction. It's, it, it is it, because it's like the self that had the catalytic experience, right? You have this life-changing catalytic experience, pretty or ugly, and you feel changed at your core. And then the process of gestating that new self that is in there and the rearrangement, and it works its way out to your skin and then out into your life, into your relationships, into your work, into your home, into all of it. And it, it, is, it is literally an infiltration of you into your, your life. And so there is not a disconnect between your inner life and the outer life. By the time you get to integration, there's no disconnect at all. There is a seamless um, transparency. There's not a barrier. Not meaning you don't have boundaries. It just means that that you have become your life fully. You have fully inhabited your life and it and and when that you get to that place of integration, you know it just is it just is, and it and it's and then and there's a sublime ordinariness that is a place of homeostasis of balance between the masculine and feminine between the inner and the outer, between all the different polarities, because that's what transformation does is it is essentially uh, integrating polarities within us. And, and and once you are integrating those polarities, that's what creates wholeness, is you're integrating the polarities, and that's causing eventually integration and wholeness, integralness. You have become integrated. You are integral. And when you're integral, there is a state of wholeness and that doesn't last very long I hate to say it but it does last for a decent amount of time and we can be in that place where heaven and earth have become integrated within us and you get to be alive for that and be in that space where there's this hanging in the balance that is you where you get to live in this world where heaven and earth are in balance in your body, and your mind, and your heart, and experience that peace. And isn't that what we're all looking for when we seek transformation or wholeness? But it's not the peak that we think is what we want. What we really want is that place of integration, of wholeness, where... We get to experience this exquisite spot that where a human being lives, somewhere between heaven and earth. And we're that middle spot, in the middle of the figure eight. And then we start again.
1: Thank you. This was such a pleasure to talk with you, and thank you so much for this beautiful book.
0: Thank you for listening to the CIIS Public Programs Podcast. Our talks and conversations are presented live in San Francisco, California. Podcast production is supervised by Kirsten Van Cleef at CIIS Public Programs. Audio production is supervised by Lyle Barrere at Desired Effect. The CIIS Public Programs team includes Kyle Demedio, Alex Elliott, Emlyn Guinea, Jason MacArthur, and Patty Fort. If you liked what you heard, Please subscribe wherever you find podcasts. Visit our website, ciis.edu, and connect with us on social media at CIISPubPrograms.